welcome to the Monday Morning Pastor Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by a partnership between Christianity Today and Kairos Partnerships. Good morning, pastors and church leaders. Really glad that you joined us this morning or this afternoon or this evening or Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday. It really doesn't matter. We're just glad that you tuned in and that you're going to have an opportunity to be part of this incredible conversation that we have coming up. Uh, JR and myself really enjoyed this conversation that we had with Michael Card. Some of you have heard of Michael Card, probably most of you have, Uh, but for me specifically, Michael Card has a very special place in my heart uh, because when my family would take trips in either the Volvo station wagon or the Ford conversion van, we would always listen to Michael Card. That was like my parents' music. And so much of his music I've realized has deeply influenced my life, uh, my calling, the way that I see scripture, Uh, And now as a pastor, I've read many of his books, and I've been very influenced by the way that he sees Christ and his love for the scriptures. We know that you're going to enjoy this conversation. Um, And before we jump into just his quick bio and some of those things, I just wanted to stop and say thank you. Thank you for being part of this community. Um, And thank you for the work that you are doing right now as you are healing communities that have been ravaged by COVID and political seasons and all the craziness that has happened. we know that the work that you've done many times goes unseen, but we just wanted to say thank you. So may you receive that day. Michael, it's good to have you on the podcast. So grateful to have you here on the Monday Morning Pastor Podcast. Good to see you. It's good It's good to be here, and I, I really do appreciate you guys uh, inviting me. I've have a mystical reverence for pastors. Uh, both of my grandfathers <laughs> were ministers, and uh, so both of my parents were were preachers' kids. So uh, okay. I grew up hearing about what it costs to be a pastor. Yeah, yeah. And for the three people in the whole world uh, that are listening to this podcast that don't know who you are, we thought mm-hmm. we'd just have you start out knowing that your calling has had many different expressions from yeah. singing to writing, teaching. Tell us a little bit of your story and uh, how those callings were revealed and even clarified in your own life. Well, my my calling is to teach the, teach the Bible. Uh, and I mm-hmm. received that calling when I was 14 years old. Um. Jeez. It was very clear uh, that that's what the Lord wanted me to do with my life. I didn't understand that it was going to end up being music, through primarily through music. Uh, but all my heroes, none of my heroes are musicians. All my heroes are Bible teachers. <laughs> so that's, that's what, fascinating. So that's what I've been doing for the last 40 or some odd years. I've been teaching Bible. Uh, a, lot, a lot of times using songs, but also uh, I've written 27 books. I've overviewed the whole whole Bible in that time musically and um and that's what I do now. I'm a I'm a Wednesday night Bible study uh leader at my church. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. And uh, speaking of teaching, I mean I I grew up Doug and I were talking before we press record. Um uh, your music was in our homes, both of our homes, and uh Simeon's song, mm-hmm. I can't get through Advent. I can't read the story of Advent. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't read the story of Simeon without that. And you taught mm. so musically through that. I still tear up decades later, mm. uh, still hearing that song. Uh, and you are gifted in that. You, before we pressed record, you were talking about uh, 
your church just down the road from where you are yep. and uh, and how you teach. And it, it sounds like it's a very small congregation and there's nothing wrong with large or small churches, but right. I'm curious, what is that like in a small congregation and what is that like even to enter into the life of that community? Well, one of my hero uh, writers is uh, uh, um, a man named Wendell Berry. Do you know that name? Mm-hmm. Oh sure. Okay. Yeah. Wendell, Wendell Berry says the way the way you pick a church is you go to the church that's closest to your house, and <laughs> almost literally about two or three miles right down the road from where I live in Fernvale, Tennessee, is uh, Fernvale Community Church. There are about ten or ten or fifteen people there on Sunday morning. Wonderful pastor, um, just a sweet guy. Um, the music is basically one guy named Lee who plays a guitar and plays hymns. And uh, we had been part of big churches of, you know, four or 5,000 members. And that's, that's, that's fine too. But um, I, I just, I feel like my heart is, was sort of created to be part of a fellowship where everyone knows your name. And if you're not there, someone's going to call you and say, are you okay? You know, we missed you this Sunday and that sort of thing. And that's, that's the church where we are. And, And unless the Lord moves us, that's the church where I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll finish my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That sounds a lot like Eugene yeah. Peterson, who is a big influence on Doug and, and my life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he said the same thing. He did the same thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I visited with him before he died and just down the road within walking distance is right. the church that he went to very small yeah. and uh, same sort of thing. So, and he is a big Wendell Berry fan. He was, so yeah. it doesn't surprise me that, uh, that Wendell and Eugene, uh, share the same, the same, uh, sentiment when it comes to churches. Yeah. So, um, so I, I'm curious, you know, the world has changed so much, uh, even just, I mean, within the last few months, as you see the Christian realm, as you see churches, capital C church, lowercase C church, what's encouraging you? What's discouraging you in this season? Well, in first place, in, in one, in one sense, things have changed, but in another sense, there's nothing new under the sun. You know, the, the, the way people are divided and the way, uh, people tend to judge each other and, um, not walk, you know, in the, the unity. I mean, the last thing Jesus asked for in the garden of Gethsemane is that we be one. Why is that not enough? That's the last thing he asked for. So in one sense, it, it, it is different, but in, in another sense, these are problems that the church has had from the very beginning. And, um, and for me, the the answer is always going to be, and this comes from for me from Bonhoeffer, um, a book he wrote called Christ the Center. Uh, the answer is always a radical focus on who Jesus is and what he means. That's mm-hmm. that's, I mean, the fact that he's the the truth and he's the word and he's the life. Uh, he's also the answer. And so um, uh, there's a great quote I saw on Instagram. It's Larry Crabb. It says, if, if Jesus isn't the answer to your question, you're asking the wrong question. <laughs> I thought that was pretty That's good. good. So, you know, I, I really appreciate even just the way that you frame nothing new under the sun and, and let's, you know, how do we begin to focus on Jesus, recognizing him as the answer to these mm-hmm. things and just what, what he calls us to this radical difference. And so like, how are you seeing that in your own life and how, how is 
the call of Jesus to be radically different been something that you're like, how are you practically wrestling with that even well, now? Well, I was, I was, I go to, I go to Israel a lot. And the last time I was in, in Jerusalem, there's a man who's a, he's not a rabbi, he's a, a rabbinic student and he's a friend of mine. And we were talking about, I was talking about the fact that Jesus, uh, even though he really doesn't have to, Jesus goes to Jerusalem from Galilee, uh, three times a year at least. And, um, and I was trying to show off that how much I knew about Judaism to this rabbinic <laughs> student, which is kind of a stupid <laughs> idea, but I, I do lots of stupid things. Anyway, he said, uh, he said, yeah, but do you know what that means? Now, this is not a Christian. I mean, he's an Orthodox Jew. He said, do you, do you know what that means? And I said, you know, I don't know. Why don't you tell me? He said, it means that Jesus spends three months out of every year walking back and forth to Jerusalem. Three mm. months out of every year, he's walking back and forth to Jerusalem. And then what, what that did to me, I pulled back and I realized there's so much I don't know about Jesus. There's so many details mm. I, don't, I don't understand. Uh, and, and I don't understand what they mean. I know facts but I don't know what they mean. I mean, I knew that Jesus went to Jerusalem three times a year. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know that meant three months out of his, out of his year. And so here's, here's finally the answer to your question. <laughs> uh, where, where I am in, in all of this right now is in the process of trying to learn every detail, everything that can be known about Jesus, how many languages he speaks, what he eats, mm. what, uh, you know, uh, what his world was like, how, how dangerous it was and how fragmented it was. And um, uh, so that's where I am right now. I, I, I want to know everything. He speaks three languages, by the way. He speaks, he speaks, uh, he speaks Greek. <laughs> he, and he speaks Hebrew. He speaks Greek to people like Pilate and the Syrophoenician woman. He speaks Hebrew when he's in the synagogue and he speaks uh, Aramaic to everyone else. So he's five foot six, he's about five foot six, which to me is right, right here. It comes to my nose because uh, the burial evidence from over 200 graves of, uh, of male Jew, uh, Jewish males of the first century, the average height was five foot six. The bones mm -hmm. of St. Peter, Peter was only five foot five. He didn't even make it to five foot six. So he's kind of mm -hmm. short. He eats fish every day. You know, those are the kind of mm -hmm. things. And and people say, well, that's just silly that, you know, I, I want I want to know the depth of who he is and who is in his heart. Yes, and I do I do too, but I also want to know everything that can be known about him, and that's what I'm working on now. Mm -hmm. What what's surprising you in that in just in that work? Well, I I think a lot of things have surprised me. One of the things I'm trying to do is just listen to his voice and strip away all the preconceived notions, all the sort of the background that I grew up with. And I had good background. I grew up in the church. But I'm seeing things like, in many ways, uh, Jesus is a conservative. Uh, the the, the mm. Pharisees are the liberals. They're the ones who are, who are creating and saying, saying things that aren't biblical. Jesus is the one who says, you know, what does Moses say? You know, go hmm. get, offer the sacrifices Moses told you to, act, to, to offer. He, he says he's come to fulfill the law. And so in many ways, he's a very conservative person. And things that he does, um, for instance, uh, in John 8, when he, when he writes in the sand with his finger, 
in the in the Talmud, uh, it, it it allowed you to write in in the sand on Sabbath because that's not permanent. You can't do any. You can't write anything permanent on Sabbath, but you can write in the sand. And I think that's why he was writing in the sand. Um, they didn't like what he was writing, whatever it was, apparently. But I, I see him as a very conservative person. In not to beat people up with the law the way the Pharisees did, but to fulfill the law and realize that the law, you know, God's word is gives us freedom and it tells us who we are and it tells us who He is and uh, and Jesus lived lived that out perfectly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I find I find this fascinating and I'm leaning in and I want to agree with you on this and and. And yet I also have well, some wait, other wait. things running no, through my mind. Don't, don't disagree with me. I'm yeah. very fragile. I'm very fragile. <laughs> <laughs> no, and maybe it's more clarification than disagreement. You know, when Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard it said, but I tell you. Right? Yeah. And the ways that he seems to be poking people on the Sabbath and saying, you know, so I'm just curious. Again, not disagreeing, just no. just I'm, I'm curious if you'd unpack that a little bit more. Well, yeah, yeah the, absolutely. The comment I, a conservative. I, I, well, I... I in, in the first place, he's not one thing. So for me mm-hmm. to say he's conservative, he's also very, you know, li- you know, liberal in a good sense in some ways. He's, the way he loves people mm-hmm. is very liberal. And so it, it's impossible to say he's one thing. I've, I've got books. I'm looking at my shelf. Jesus the sage. Jesus the Pharisee. People write these books and try to say he's one thing. He's not one thing. But yeah. Uh, yeah. And what my point was, what I was surprised was, because I've always thought of him as the innovator not the conservative, but uh, mm, when he'll say mm. things like you've heard it said, but I say he's, he, he's being a rabbi. Jesus is a rabbi mm-hmm. called mm-hmm. rabbi. And that's an, that's called an innovation. Rabbis do that. They innovate mm-hmm. um, the yoke. Yeah. Right. Well, and, and I think the best example is the, the, uh, the three pillars of Judaism are, are fasting, prayer, and giving to the poor. If you're a, if you're an observant Jew, you do those things. It's not optional. I mean, I grew up Southern Baptist. I didn't fast. I mean, I have blood sugar problems, so I don't fast. You know that kind of thing. In Judaism, you do those things. Well, Jesus innovates. He says um, uh, he he adds an innovation to those three things, and the innovation is you do them in secret. Mm, mm. So not so that people can see you, but so that God can see you, and and you still want to be rewarded. I mean, the Pharisees wanted to be rewarded, but they wanted to be rewarded by men. And Jesus says, no, go, go in your inner room. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand doing, which is an original statement of Jesus. No, no one said that before Jesus did. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Uh, so God, who sees in secret, will, will reward, reward you openly. And so I, that, to me, is one of the best examples of seeing Jesus being a rabbi and innovating. He's, he's, the rabbis build a fence around the law to help you keep it. And uh, I think that was part of what he was doing. So there, there's a reason they call him rabbi. But one more clarification. Um, <laughs> we're not really sure what the word rabbi means in Jesus' day. It doesn't mean what it means now. He wasn't a rabbi in the sense of the way people are rabbis now. There was no such thing as an ordained rabbi in Jesus' day. That term was just be- beginning to be used. We think it means something like great one or great teacher or something. John translates it teacher. So we think some people thought it meant teacher. It doesn't mean what it meant then though. Hmm. Yeah. 
This is fascinating. Yeah. And I, I love this. What, as, you, as you look across the church in North America, there's a lot of unlearning and relearning we've got to do with yes. Jesus. Yes. <laughs> so I'm curious, what do you think needs to be unlearned the most in terms mm-hmm. of the North American church as it relates to Jesus? Um, unlearned. Um, well, let me, let me say it in, in a positive way. We need to understand mm-hmm. the Jewishness of Jesus. We need to understand mm-hmm. uh, his world as an observant Jew and, um, and the fact that he was really coming up against um, people that were trying to um, corrupt Judaism. Jesus loves the temple. He's very mm-hmm. conservative there. He won't let people carry things through the temple. That's mm-hmm. very conservative, right? And uh, it's his father's house, and he's come to fulfill all those things. And for me, I've, I've, gotten, I've gotten closer to him since I've realized the Jewishness of Jesus. And there are a million books on the Jewishness of Jesus. I mean, a lot of people have written about mm-hmm. it. But I understand him better when I see him as a, a rabbin, uh, or not rabbinic, but a rabbi, as an, as an observant Jew in his time. When Judaism mm-hmm. is so fragmented, Judaism Judaism isn't one thing in Jesus' day. Uh, Isaiah Gaffney, who is a Jewish scholar, said in the first century, we have Judaisms. We have temple observance. Mm-hmm. We have priests. We have Sadducees. We have Pharisees. That's new. We have the beginnings of rabbinic Judaism. It, it hasn't come to flower yet, but the beginning of it are, beginnings of it are there. And then in the midst of all that, we have Jesus doing his thing. So it's very fragmented. He's a very lives in a very fragmented mm. world and a very dangerous world. Mm. Yeah, and you've got the Essenes. Yes, and you've got the Zealots. Yes, right on opposite ends right. of the spectrum. About that, right? Yeah. You know, there's. You're right. There's so much there. Right. And I, when I'm teaching my seminary students, we talk no, about the four no sects one, of no one of agrees Judaism. on no one agrees on anything in Jesus' world. They don't agree on canon. <laughs> they don't agree on angels. They don't agree on resurrection. Sadducees don't believe in resurrection. See, Pharisees do. So you can be a Pharisee and be a Christian. You can't be a Sadducee and be a Christian. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And, of course, the, the cheesy dad joke in that is they didn't believe in the resurrection, which is why you, they're sad, you see. Uh, <laughs> oh. Yeah. Oh, it's, a, it's a groaner, but you'll, you will never forget it. You will never forget it. No matter, so, no matter um, how much you want to forget it, you can never forget it. <laughs> 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 it's interesting too. I feel like so much of what of what I've I've noticed in Jesus in the last two years is is uh really connected to him weeping and lamenting over Jerusalem or mm-hmm. or in the Garden of Gethsemane. Yes. And you know, you, you wrote this this beautiful thing. You said, uh, you and I lament because we can understand how a God of Hesed could possibly allow us to experience pain. The cause for all lament is an inconsistency between the perceived action of God and the revealed character of God as defined by the word has said. Mm-hmm. It is the source of the complaint as well as a solution. Can you unpack that a little bit for, for pastors? And you may need to unpack the word has said as well. Well, Hesed is the key word that God uses to reveal himself to Moses in Exodus. And um, it's an untranslatable word. Um, Hasidic Judaism comes from the word hesed. Um, it's translated 169 different ways. Um, um, King James 
invented the term loving lo, uh, loving kindness uh, to try to translate it, and even that doesn't doesn't get it. But it has to do. Here's my translation of Hesed. It's when the person from whom I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything. That's mm, Hesed. Mm. I stand before the cross Great of definition. Jesus and I say, I have no right to expect anything from you. I nailed you there. What mm. do I get from Jesus? Do I get a second chance? No, I get more chances you can possibly imagine. I get everything. And I nailed him there. That's Hesed. Jesus is sort of the, I think the word that became flesh is not logos. I think it really is Hesed. And so, um, but the problem is God reveals himself as a God of Hesed, but then there's, there's suffering in the world, you know, and pastors know this better than anybody. People who don't deserve it suffer the good, you know, the good, the good uh, suffer and the bad prosper. And um, we wonder why God would, uh, uh, a God of Hesed would let that happen. And of course, the book, the book that you go to is the book of Job, right? Job is a righteous guy, and uh, he's suffering, and his friends respond with the, you know, uh, what do they call it? Retributive justice. You must have done something wrong, or you wouldn't be suffering. And Job says, nope. You know, he shakes his fist at God and, you know, let him show up and weigh me on an even scale. And Job has a lot of courage. And, uh, and um, the, the, the basic teaching of the book of Job, I think God shows up. He doesn't answer anybody's questions. He asks a lot, a bunch of harder questions. And I think the teaching of the book of Job is when it comes to the, the, the theodicy. It's, theologically, it's called the theodicy question. Um, the biblical answer to the theodicy question is don't ask that question. I really do think that's the answer. Or, you know, look at the cross where someone... Talk about the person who didn't deserve it, you know, uh, suffered. Uh, but even that, you know, um, the, I guess the only sense that that makes is he was he was providing salvation for the world and paying for this, paying for our sins, or you know, covering our sins with his blood, or however you want to say it. But uh, so Hesed, to me, you know, by faith I believe and trust and hope that God is who He says He is, despite the evidence, you know, because you started we started talking about how bad things are right now. Well, they've always, Mm. uh, when is it, when has it not been bad? I don't know. Mm. It's a, my, my mentor used to say it's a death impregnated world. Mm. If there's anything Mm. that's certain about this world, it's that it's not the way it's supposed to be. Mm. My sister Mm. lost two babies in 18 months, born full term, lived a couple of months and died. Um, My brother lost his 18 year old son to cancer. You know, none of that's, that does, that's not right. You know, that's, that's not right. But mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I believe and I hope and I trust that God is a God of Hesed. And there's plenty mm-hmm. of evidence, uh, you know, also that he is a God. He's, I mean, the fact that we have a, each breath is a gift that he gives us. I have a wife who loves me and I um, have a roof over my head and, and God has given us all work to do. That's all is part of his goodness and we have our you know for the most part have our health and he's good to us god is good to us yeah yeah over these years you know there's been a lot of you know 
deconstruction and you know this and that. And we don't have to have a conversation about deconstruction. I'm more interested good, good, of what keeps I don't, you. I don't know what that is. So good. <laughs> <laughs> but what keeps you focused, laser like on Jesus after decades of following him? It seems you're as passionate about Jesus now as you were for 40 years ago. And so, what is it that keeps you in the game? your heart soft and vibrant and leaning toward Jesus even more now? Really, it's him. It's just him. Mm. Um, mm. I keep learning new things about him, and, and um, there's just no, there's no end to my fascination. With, he's an endlessly fascinating person. He's an mm. elegant thinker. Uh, he has an incredible, his heart for people. Is incredible. And he gets ticked off at people. He gets angry. How much longer do I have to put up with you? He says, right? Every time I read that, I say, Lord, you know, that really hurts my feelings when you say that. Because <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you say that to me, Mike, how much longer am I, am I have going to have to put up with you? So mm. Um, mm. he's not just this plastic person that sometimes that people think he is, it's predictable. He's very unpredictable, but, um, and I use the word elegant a lot. He's just an elegant person. Um, I don't know if mm. you've seen the, the mm. new, uh, chosen. I think they've, yeah. done, I think they've done a great job. And one of the things mm -hmm. that, that, uh, Jonathan Rumi is that the guy, that's the guy that plays Jesus. Mm -hmm. He's really shown me a side of Jesus that I think is biblical. And that is his charm. Yeah, he's a very yeah. charming, and I'd never thought of him that way before. But um, uh, I've read books about just just finished reading Elton Truebud's book about the humor of Jesus, and that mm. I wasn't really convinced by that book. He tries to make everything humorous, and I, I don't think everything was humorous. But I do think Jesus is is a very charming person. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So when it comes to The Chosen, it's funny you brought that up. And I love what Dallas Jenkins and the team is doing with The Chosen. They it's do. great. I haven't seen every single episode. Yeah. I'm catching up slowly. Yeah. But the only critique I would have is that we don't see the sternness of Jesus come out like you just described. Yeah. And maybe it's later that I haven't seen, or maybe that's in future filming of episodes. Yeah. But that, you know, how long do I have to put up with you that yeah. Jesus sighed deeply? Yes. You know? We just haven't seen that yet. Yep. And I know, you know, he's charming and and relatable, and it brings tears to my eyes when I watch The Chosen. But that's the only thing. Yeah. If Dallas Jenkins were to ask me, what do I think? I'd say, where do we see the hard edge of Jesus? Yeah on screen that we read about in the gospel. And he could, so. his, his emotions could, could really change in a, in us and almost in an instant. And I, my, one of my favorite scenes is in the first chapter of Mark, the man with the shriveled hand, because he's yeah. very compassionate. He looks at this man with compassion and then he looks around mm. in anger. He's angry at everybody <laughs> because he knows that healing this man is going to work against him. You know, especially in Mark, Jesus heals people. And he says, please don't tell anybody I did that. Right, because he knows that his yeah. ministry is going to be, and eventually he has to flee to the Aramas Tapas. He has to flee to the wilderness because he's so covered up. And what what I get is this frustration, especially in Mark, that the ministry, his Jesus ministry, is really out of control from the very beginning. It's it's that you know it goes from you know uh, him solo preaching mm -hmm. in synagogues and healing people to the twelve to then. 5,000, 6,000, 
But then he starts talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, and then the numbers start falling off. So that I think in Matthew 17, <laughs> they come back to Capernaum and nobody's there. I think I think there's a definite trajectory to his ministry that people don't appreciate. I think towards the end, the numbers really dropped off. Yeah, yeah. And, and I feel like for pastors, they've probably watched that happen over the last two years. <laughs> yeah. They've been sitting in their churches and seeing the numbers, mm-hmm. you know, the numbers drop off. I was um I was recently reflecting on how um myself included, a lot of pastors have felt deep abandonment over mm. the last two years. And and I mm. had this moment of lamenting uh, by that. And, by their people? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, by people. But the coolest thing is, uh, is thinking about Jesus looking around at his disciples saying, are you going to leave me too? Yeah. And like, that was the first time I made this very yeah. human connection with the Jesus who looked around at the people that like he thought were in this to win, you know, in yeah. it with him. Yeah. And he had to ask him the same question because he wasn't sure. Yep. And I thought to myself, like, man, that is that, like, yeah, there's an elegance to that statement that Jesus yep. makes. And there's a humility to that statement. And there's an honesty and a rawness that was just so uh, strangely comforting. Yeah. Um, and and it, it seemed to put some wind in my sails uh, at the same time. And so, like, I mean, even think about, you know, like, we call this the Monday morning pastor. And you know, you you grew up in in homes where pastoral ministry was. You know, your grandfathers were pastors, and you know your parents were pastor kids, and yeah. and and you've been part of the church. How would you want to encourage a pastor who's sitting on a Monday morning, um, you know, trying their best to be faithful to Jesus and just feeling kind of depleted? Well, I go back to the passage you just mentioned in uh, John, uh, and that is that's right after he started talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And and mm-hmm. at any point, he could have explained himself, but he doesn't. In fact, he, he makes it worse. He says, no, my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Now, he's talking <laughs> to kosher Jews who don't even eat pork, right? Mm. It, this is incredibly scandalous uh, stuff. And and many of his disciples leave. And and then the, the, mo- the moment you mentioned where he looks at the 12 and says, you can leave too. And then what does Peter say? I got no place else to go. And yeah. I, I call that loyal despair. I don't think that was a great statement of faith by Peter. I think Peter realizes you've got the words of eternal life and I've got no place else to go. And I think for a pastor on Monday morning who's tired and his tank is empty, I think you look Jesus in the face and you say, I got no place else to go. Hmm. I'm not makes me cry to think of it. I'm not leaving. I'm not going anywhere. I got no place else to go. Mm. Mm. Because you don't have any place else to go. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Michael, you are clearly a teacher, as we've talked about in various expressions. And uh, I, I love writing because I'm a teacher and teaching is writing on paper. That's yes. kind of how I describe it. So I'm curious if you could just reflect for a moment on your books and you've written, what did you say, 27 at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I know they're all our favorite when we're working on them or the most yeah. recent release, but yeah. just looking back, I'm just curious, which is the one that you either are most proud of? And I mean that in the, the healthiest, most grounded sense uh-huh. or where you've seen God use and it's been really fruitful in people's lives that just gives you great joy and gratitude. I, I think my favorite one so far, other than, like you said, the one I'm working on now, the, but, but yeah. prior, to, prior to that, <laughs> I wrote a book on the Hebrew word hesed. And the, mm-hmm. the book is called Inexpressible. Inexpressible, and, yeah. And um, that, 
that was uh, the result of a lot of hard work uh, uh, because mm-hmm. I'm not a I'm not a lang- I'm not a linguist. I mean, I had to read ar- tons and tons of articles that I understood about half of. You know, you read mm-hmm. things and you just, <laughs> you're looking up every word in a dictionary and you're thinking, I'm a banjo player. I'm not a Hebraist. You know, I can't, I can't, I can't do this, but that, 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 um, and, and, and I, I came on that word through studying lament because, uh, some of the most important laments transition from, from lamenting to worship at the mm. word Hesed, because if you're a, a mm. book of lamentations mm. is one of the best examples, it lament, mm. lament, lament, lament. And then in chapter four, I think, uh, because of your Hesed, we're not destroyed and it becomes worship. And I'd never mm-hmm. seen that word before. And, um, and it was fairly, um, I had to dig. I didn't, I didn't find a lot of books. You know, there were a couple of books on it, but that's the book that I'm, I think I'm the most proud of is in, it's called inexpressible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And share with our, with our listeners, what you're working on now. Well, I'm working on a book. I, I, I want to call it the Galilean, but the publishing companies always, you know, this, they always change the, Title. You have the this cool title, and they always change it. They have a committee that decides what the title is going to be. And anyway, yeah. uh, but it, it's a book that came out of this the, this experience that I had when I was in Israel about uh, this desire to understand um, every every detail of the life of Jesus, and not just the detail, but what the detail means. And I got the best outline of any book I've ever had. I've got okay. Here's the, here's my outline. Okay. The, Section one is Jesus' world. Okay, the places in his world. You know, what is Nazareth all about? What is Capernaum all about? You know, how long does it take to walk from Nazareth to Jerusalem? What's the route he took? Mm-hmm. That sort of thing. So the places in his world, the people in his world, who the major people are. There are forty people that are named in the gospel of name in the in the gospels. Um, and then uh his mind, his heart. And then his crucifixion and resurrection is the last part. So I'm I'm really excited about my outline. I've got tons yeah. and tons. I'm I'm looking at four uh, notebooks this thick of of articles on the life of Jesus. Everything you can everything mm-hmm. you can think of. That's awesome. Yeah. And I think there's something about there's something that I I hope that that pastors are are picking up on and even being encouraged by today in terms of just your love for Jesus. And and I think when it comes back down to pastoral ministry and the calling and what it is, it, it's literally love Jesus well yeah. and invite others into that, into that same love. Yeah. Um, you know, we are, we're just about to the end of our conversation and, and could you leave us with a benediction today? Yeah. I, I wrote this just for you guys, uh, short and sweet. <laughs> here's, here's my benediction. Mm. And now to Jesus in whom is all hope and all meaning be praised forevermore in the church and from all his servants. Amen. 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 Well, thanks for joining us for this episode of MMP. Our passion is to serve, partner with, and equip hungry pastors and kingdom leaders just like you. Have you signed up for the Kairos Partnerships free weekly newsletter called Five Things in Five Minutes? It's free and it's delivered to your inbox every Tuesday morning. It provides valuable thoughts, links, questions, and quotes to equip you for the ministry and leadership journey. And the entire thing can be read in five minutes or less. To sign up, log on to kairospartnership.org slash 5T5M. 
Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.